I thought this is a very sensitive topic uh, for a lot of folks who may be dealing with pain, uh, be it physical or spiritual or emotional, uh, that is long-lasting or chronic, uh, or maybe even something they've been dealing with for a very, very long time. Uh, and how do we look at that and think about how do we reconcile that uh, with the hope that we have that is beyond this world, but also think about ways where we can have hope because we're part of the Lord's church uh, in this world today. So we're going to define some terms a little bit, uh, talk about different ways that pain manifests itself, and also how we look at a very painful world. Because it is very difficult for us to watch what goes on in our world, especially on what you might say the evening news uh, or your news feed that you see online or on your phone and think about all the terrible things that people do that hurt us uh, and the way that Christianity is being opposed now and uh, the preaching of the truth is being fought against. And it is, it is painful for us to see those things as well from a spiritual perspective, even if it's not uh, physically painful. Think about the word pain and what does it mean. Uh, we look at a dictionary type definition and it talks about two different aspects of pain. One of which is you know, essentially a localized sensation of discomfort. I always love when you go to the doctor and they tell you that they're going to do something to you and it may be uncomfortable. That's a doctor's way of saying it's going to hurt. You know, it's, it's a way of hiding that. It's something they're going to stick you with a needle or cut you with something. Uh, and it's uncomfortable for them, but it's painful for you. But we have things that hurt us uh, from a bodily perspective that manifest themselves uh, all the time uh, with folks, especially as we age and we go through some sort of uh, disease. Uh, several years ago, my wife went through having breast cancer uh, and multiple surgeries and chemotherapy and all those things. If you're familiar with them, know that it is misery uh, to go through and a terrible thing to deal with. Uh, I went through open heart surgery in 2016, uh, and I remember the pain of that, but I'm thankful that that pain was not Permanent. I know a lot of people deal with permanent physical pain, whether it be from an injury or whatever it may wind up being. But pain also manifests itself in our minds and in our spirit and how those things can be even more damaging than physical suffering. But what goes on in our mind and when we're suffering physically and emotionally, I'm no counselor, I'm not a scientist, a biologist, or a doctor, but I've seen enough people in 12 years of ministry work uh, and even before that, going and doing jail ministry for about 10 years, that people's mental anguish affects their body and what goes on with their mind. Eastern science has known that for thousands of years, but we're beginning to realize that uh, as well and what goes up in our heads. This type of pain can manifest itself uh, in back pain or body pain or pain from an injury at work uh, or in a car accident that is chronic and seems to never go away and uh, can even lead to addictions that cause even more problems uh, in our lives. And I don't know what it's like to deal with chronic pain that I can't make go away. I've always dealt with pain in my life and it's been able to be handled uh, with a medication or uh, with something and it's been temporary. And I, I have no idea what it's like to go through something with chronic pain. One of my wife's family members has been dealing with cancer in his back for over 10 years now and he is in constant pain. Uh, and pressure from cancer and tumors pressing on his back. Uh, and I know to the point where he prays that he can go home uh, and go to be with his Father in heaven. He is ready to be done uh, with that sort of pain. Also, we have the pain of grief or emotional pain. We lose a loved one uh, or something happens in our lives 
uh, whether it be the loss of a job or some other stress, uh, or we go through the teenage years uh, of having a daughter. I, I've gone through some emotional uh, issues last week as I dropped my daughter off three hours away uh, at college for the first time, and now I'm empty nester. That hasn't been painful, but it's been emotionally uh, upsetting and something new that I have to get used to uh, in my life. And then we see things that people do in this world that are disgusting and terrible and evil and mean and senseless, and it causes us a great deal of pain as well. We recently experienced that here in Nashville area with the Covenant School shooting, a senseless killing of children and faculty for nothing other than the work of Satan and the product of, of evil and issues with mental disease and everything that people go through that sometimes watch it. we watch it on TV and it makes us cry. It makes us upset. It makes us feel despair about this world that we live in. However, I would also juxtapose pain beside hope. Just as in theater we have comedy and we have tragedy, we have pain, but we can also have hope. And it's important for us to think about and define that word hope uh, as we go through our lesson here today. Hope is a word we see frequently talked about uh, in the Bible in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Israelite people had the hope of the promised land that God had promised them would happen, that He had promised their father Abraham uh, would happen, and things that He promised Abraham about uh, his descendants. And we can look in the Hebrew Scriptures and see how God kept those promises, that those people's hope was realized. And only when they sinned against God was that taken away from them as God promised them it would be. God keeps His promises uh, in both ways. But hope in the New Testament frequently centers around the home one day that we hope to have in heaven. And we want to talk a little bit about the word hope and the difference. Sometimes we hear people say that word in the context of like, well, I hope something will happen because there's a chance it will or maybe there's a probability that it will, but not that there's a certainty that it will. If I asked Paul about the hope that he had of heaven, he would tell you it's a certainty. It is not something that I think might happen, or if I get lucky it'll happen, or there's a chance it will happen. He would tell you that it will happen. I know that that will happen. As a matter of fact, Paul would say, I'm ready to depart and be with Christ, but if he wants me to continue working here, that's what I will do. Going back to the dictionary definitions of hope, we have several different ways that hope is defined. Both hope and pain can be a noun or a verb. Hope can be something that trust is placed in. Uh, hope can also be something we do uh, in an action way. It's, a, it's to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. And if we look at this, and we, we, won't, we, we can't say as Christians, if we believe the Scriptures, that we, we, we want the promise of heaven to be true, we have to say that we know it is true. But I like the word cherish here because it is something that we can cherish in the promises of God. There's an expectation of obtainment. I would think that's more what we think about when we think about our hope of heaven one day and to expect it with absolute confidence. Because if we don't, we're saying we don't believe God and we don't believe His promises. And we cannot tell, call ourselves members of the Lord's church and say we don't trust in the promises of God. Now, do we doubt God from time to time? Do we have our faith challenged in God from time to time? You may not be willing to raise your hand and say that, but I will say that I am sometimes. 
when I see suffering, when I see evil, when I see things going on in this world that I think are, are unfair because they're unfair by my definition, or I don't think that God ought to handle things that way because you know, I need to be the one, I don't have any reason to be the judge of God's decision making. I know that everything that God does is just and righteous, even if my feeble mind cannot comprehend it. But sometimes my trust in God wavers from time to time, uh, and I don't always have that. But I have never wavered in my belief that God is real, that Jesus Christ is real, that heaven is real, and the promise for those who are baptized into Christ and live a faithful life and keep that new covenant will go to heaven one day, that Jesus will come back. I don't know when that's going to be. It may be another 2,000 years, and that's okay. Because I also believe that if I die in this world, a faithful Christian, that I'll go to heaven as well. And so this, this expectation of fulfillment, uh, and also hope can be the object of something. Some might say, God is my hope. And so we may even use that uh, in a noun, uh, in defining something that's someone or something on which our hopes are centered. And if we think about the promises of God and on Jesus Christ, you know, we ultimately place our hope that the gospel is true. And we have confidence in that because we've got to believe that Jesus Christ's blood will forgive us of our sins if we hope to get into heaven. Because to get into heaven, we have to have been forgiven of those sins. And Christ's blood has to have washed over us in the waters of baptism. And we have to confess our sins to be forgiven uh, those sins as we live on uh, in a new covenant relationship with God. The word trust is another good word for hope, isn't it? Because we put a lot of trust in the scriptures and in the truth of the Bible. We place all our trust uh, in that. And many people don't understand that. And I'm going to tell you, I understand why people don't necessarily place their trust in the Bible. It is a very difficult thing to believe. For those of us who may have always been raised in a Christian environment and always raised in a home or a place where the Bible was without a doubt true in the Word of God, it's strange for us to think about that being the case. But for a great many people, most of the people in the world, the overwhelming majority of people in the world, do not believe that. And it is a very strange story that we come to them and say, here was a man born of a virgin. He was killed as a common criminal by the Roman government, but he came back from the dead and he rose into the heavens and now he sits beside the creator of the universe, lobbying him on our behalf, and only through his blood can we be forgiven of our sins. That's a strange story if you've never believed it before. But we trust in that. We place our hope uh, in that. And I will tell you that a great many people that I have learned more from just watching them than I've ever learned from anything that's been said from a pulpit uh, or in a Bible lesson or anything I've ever studied, I have watched faithful men and women of God go through times of terrible pain, unimaginable suffering because of the things that go on in this world, but they have kept their trust and faith in God. And that motivates me and inspires me and drives me to know that I can do it too, but I have to build that faith and trust in God. I have to have that eternal hope uh, in Him to know that there is something beyond this life. And so as you encounter things that cause you pain in this world, how you handle that is being watched. I see a lot of younger faces in the room tonight. Watch and see how faithful people handle tough times. Because they will come. You will not live life without anything coming on you that's painful.
It's just a matter of fact. Uh, you will face that. So be prepared by letting older men teach younger men and older women teach younger women about how to be faithful to God in going through times. Tonight, a lesson, uh, FH asked me to talk about Psalm 66 and in verse 12 in particular. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about that passage, but I don't ever want to look at a biblical passage without thinking about its context. And so we'll briefly talk about the context. But the meat of what's being said around verse 12 is the psalmist here. We don't know who this is, uh, but the psalmist is talking about uh, and talking to God. He says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You've brought us into the net. You've laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. We think about this, the context and content of Psalm 66 is very symbolic of the wilderness generation. And those of you that know the story of the Exodus know that the Israelites were brought out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, they were delivered and they crossed the sea on dry land, which the psalmist talks about earlier in this psalm. And they crossed the river, the next generation did, into they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. This psalmist speaks of those great deeds of God that were done. And the wilderness generation in Scripture is said to have been tested and tried. It's a trial in the wilderness. And if you notice, we, we, we see that rebellious generation who wanted to believe the ten spies instead of having the faith in God that Joshua and Caleb had that they can take the promised land because of their lack of trust in God, they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. But the next generation was. And if you read the book of Joshua, that generation is rock solid in their trust in God. They'll do whatever God asks through his agent Joshua. If we're going to march around a city, it makes no sense to march around a city, but we're going to march around this walled city, and then the walls are just going to fall down. And they do that, and they keep that, and they keep the cup. They say, we will do whatever the Lord tells us to do. They have learned the lesson to trust and hope in God because of the trial they went through in the wilderness. Uh, in this psalm at the beginning, there's a summons to glorify God for His great works, these great works of deliverance uh, and hope. There's been a refining through these trials and through this suffering. Uh, there's deliverance into the promised hope that I mentioned earlier uh, of going to Canaan uh, and entering into that promised land, a, a promise that God kept, a promise that God could have fulfilled 40 years ago if the previous generation had just put their hope uh, in God. But there was pain in that wilderness. Uh, you think, imagine, it's just bad enough to think about eating the same thing every day, right? having to eat the same stuff every day. And if you think about, we think about wilderness sometimes, we think about like Sherwood Forest. When we talk about the wilderness of Sinai, we're talking about an arid, hot desert to go out and live, not lush greenery. We're talking about a difficult place to live and a hard place to live and to raise children uh, and have to deal living out of tents and a hard life that they went to. But it refined them uh, through that time. And this psalmist talks about the deeds of God which were done for the people of God. And so we ask ourselves this question, does God cause His people to experience pain? And I think we want to be careful when we talk about suffering and pain because the pain that we feel in this world because of, of age or injury or disease is not unique to the followers of God. The lost people of this world bury loved ones. The lost people of this world have chronic pain and suffering. The lost people in this world have 
financial difficulties. They have children who disappoint them. They go through a lot of things. As a matter of fact, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount would say, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, the Lord sends rain on you and your enemies, and he causes his sun to rise on you and your enemies. The things that go on in this world, I think we always think that bad things only happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people too. Bad things happen to people who don't even know anything about God or the Bible. Because there are billions of those people living on this planet today that have never heard the word of God. And they still die. And they still get cancer. And they still suffer. And they still break legs. There, there's all these things they still go through. And so it is pretty even-handed as we think about what God has them go through. Paul would not be, think this world to be strange because Paul lived in a first century world full of pain and suffering physically and emotionally and spiritually, probably even more so than we do. We sit here tonight in air-conditioned comfort in padded seats, driving automobiles to our location, probably not walking more than a couple hundred steps all night to get to your seat. We think about what they had to deal with in the first century church. I think Paul would think we got a pretty luxurious life. The world that he was immersed in had a tremendously short life expectancy. It had a tremendously high infant and child mortality rate. When we read the scriptures that talks about a widow not being placed on the list until she's in her 60s, the reason for that is she has probably outlived her children and her grandchildren because she probably started having children between 14 and 16, and by the time they got to be 30 or 40, they may have died. And so she needs the church help because she doesn't have a family uh, to rely on for those things. A very harsh working environment. There is no OSHA in the ancient world. We have slavery that millions of people were enslaved in the first century world under the Greco-Roman slave system, and they didn't have a high life expectancy. It was said if you got convicted of a crime and you got sent to the mines as a slave, you probably got about two weeks to live. You know, a very, very harsh and brutal environment. There's no, there's no help for the elderly, the aged, or the widow, people that are in extreme disadvantage. There is no social security, there is no welfare, there is no help for those who are older, and as they become unable to contribute to society, they are regarded as useless. Uh, very, and I'm not saying that I regard old people in that way now. I, I, I'm getting to be an old person. I got my AARP thing in the mail today. Uh, I thought, man, this, I have really reached a milestone uh, in my life because I turn 50 next month. I guess that's when they send that thing to you in the mail. Little bit, no welfare, no counseling opportunities, nobody to run to. It's why we see the church being very, very close-knit and surrounding one another. And later in this lesson, we'll talk about how Paul says we need to bear one another's burden. The medicine of the first century, very, very limited. You, you can get a cut on your foot and get an infection, and you're going to die in a world without penicillin. You may go through a very, very painful death. Uh, we have a very, very luxurious medical system uh, today. We expect it to be perfect to make everything go away, but it won't. But it's much later what he deal with. And if you find the brutality of the modern-day Middle Eastern world to be unsettling, that is business as usual in the ancient world. In the ancient Near East and in the first century, brutality was terrible. I don't know how many of you ever saw the movie several years ago, The Passion of the Christ, which showed the brutality with which our Lord and Savior was treated, and that was probably toned down for movie theaters. But a very, very brutal world, a place where there was no long-term prison sentences, 
a very, very brutal and harsh world that Paul lived in. And we think about what Paul dealt with himself and a great deal of physical pain that Paul went through because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about what he says to the Corinthians. I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been put in prison. And we picture Paul in prison like we do in our children's books, a nice concrete cell with cast iron bars. We're talking about rock dungeons uh, that he would have been placed in. Paul had been through a lot of physical pain, but he would say that his suffering was like that of his Christ, that I, I suffer in Christ. We live every day with the death of Christ in us, he says in 2 Corinthians 4. It says we carry with us, about us, the death of Christ so that we can provide life to you in a spiritual way. Also, we have in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this mysterious thorn in his flesh that we have no idea what he's talking about. Now, if I had a nickel for every word that's been written about that, I'd be a multimillionaire. But ultimately, the answer is we don't have any idea. But it was obviously something miserable and painful that he begged God to remove this throne, a messenger of the devil that he calls it, he begs them to, begs God to remove it, and God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. We don't know if this was mental pain or physical pain, whatever it may wind up being, but whatever it was, it was torturous to Paul. So Paul, probably what we might call the greatest hero of the gospel that we know of in Scripture, uh, and the greatest author we have in Scripture. Now Paul didn't write the bulk of the New Testament. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other New Testament author uh, in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, but Paul wrote more books and if we didn't have those books that Paul wrote, our hero Paul, our New Testament studies would be shortened up quite a bit. But Paul was a champion of the gospel, but he knew pain, and he experienced pain. And, Paul, and God used him as an agent to bring his message. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings to the Romans because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul was able to endure his pain because of this hope that he had and he knew was going to happen when he went home to be in heaven. So when we talk about today, what, are, what do we say to people and give them a light at the end of that tunnel of pain? What can we tell somebody who is in deep grief, who has, has lost someone close to them, who's been a, a widow or a widower, has lost a child or another loved one, and they are so deeply buried in grief and pain that they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and we may be able to say a few things to them and try to give them our feeble, encouraging words. At funeral homes, we don't know what to say when we get down front because we can't say we know what you feel because you don't know what they feel. You have no idea. Even if you've gone through the same thing, you don't know how that person is experiencing that pain. What do we say to someone who has no hope of their physical and chronic pain going away? How do we encourage them? It's very, very difficult, but it's not impossible. And we have some duties to do that as Christians. We certainly know, uh, as promised in the book of Revelation, that one day we will all be in a place where there are no more tears uh, there is no more pain, there is no more death, there is no more getting old, but we have the promise of heaven one day where these old things have passed away. And, and God gives us that in the book of Revelation 21 and verses 3 four, through 4. We will be in the tabernacle of God with Him. And that is encouraging, but it doesn't make the pain necessarily go away here. 
And I think in today's Christian preaching, uh, I don't think here at Highland Heights, certainly in, in other places, but in some places there's a health and wealth gospel that becoming a Christian will make all your problems go away. You think Paul would say, oh yeah, all my problems went away when I became a Christian. He'd probably be like, no, my life was much easier before I became a Christian. I was the apple of the eye of the people persecuting the church. I came from a well-to-do family. I had a terrific education. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then I became a Christian and I was beaten. I was stoned. I was thrown in prison. And I went through all kinds of suffering, even at the hands of my own kinfolk, uh, the Jews. We sing a song. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? We think about it. This world is not my home. Uh, I'm just a passing through. My treasure are laid up beyond the blue. And we always need to share that message with people because it can be encouraging both to those who are in pain and, and outside of pain. And the things that we see go on in this world know that they are temporary. Why God allows some of the suffering and pain He allows to go in this world, I don't have answers for that question. I know that suffering and evil come from sin, but I know that a lot of suffering and evil come from disease uh, and things that we don't know what to do. And pain gets caused by things that are natural in this world. It is natural for us to get old and feel that pain. I can't answer those questions. Paul told the Thessalonians that were worried about those who had passed away, what's going to happen to our brothers and sisters who die before Jesus comes back? And he gave them the hope that there is a second coming happening. And we will go to be with them. And our Lord will return. And He'll bring back with all those who have fallen asleep before. And with a glorious appearing that He will come and He will come to take us home. There is hope in those words. For the, there was hope for the Thessalonian brothers and sisters. And there's hope for us. It's okay to cry out to God. Because Jesus did on the cross when He quoted from Psalm 22. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from my words of my groaning? Are you not listening to me, the psalmist says here. But he does so in reverence. He also turns around and says, I find no rest, however, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you delivered them. I know the story, he says. To you they cried and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. It's okay to lament to God. If it's not okay, then we've got to throw a lot of the Psalms out of the book of Psalms. It's okay to cry out to God and tell Him that you need help in your time of pain. We don't like to ask for help. But some of you remember the old famous footsteps poem. Many of you may remember that that's a time where there's two sets of footprints and then there's just one set of footprints and Jesus turns to the person and says, those are the times in your life that I carried you. It is okay and completely appropriate for us to cry out for God, to God for our help. Help me. Support me. Give me peace. I need some understanding. And how God answers that prayer may be multifold. It may be a comforting uh, feeling from Him. It may be someone that God sends into your life. It may be a fellow person in church that comes to your need. Ask God for help and be passionate about it. It's a biblical thing to do. So I ask you, I tell you tonight, we want to think about a few things as we finish up here in our last five or six minutes uh, before our, our song and invitation here in a little bit. We can't have hope in this painful world. And it is a painful place to live. And it's becoming a lonely place for Christians in America. And I promise you, I think it's going to get lonelier. Now, that doesn't mean that we're throwing in the towel for defeat. 
uh, in that way. I don't know that we'll ever have evil absent from this world. Uh, we don't have any reason to expect that. Why would I hope in a heavenly home uh, if I was satisfied with my earthly home? But we can't have hope. The message of Jesus Christ can still change this world. But it's not going to do it by simply people lamenting from the pulpits of churches. It's only going to happen when active and committed Christians go tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has already given us the design. Go, teach, disciple, baptize. He has given us the orders. He's told us what to do. And we know that people will believe in the gospel if we tell them the truth. We will be rejected by some, but we won't be rejected by all. But it's not going to happen at just wringing our hands, sitting in pews in churches. The pain of this world can go away or be lessened by more and more people having their hope in Jesus Christ. It is our Christian duty to provide comfort for those who are in pain. If you want to give somebody who's in pain hope, go and comfort them. Walk alongside them. Paul would command the, the people in Galatia, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. We're all going to have our own burdens too. And what experiences we have going through that, it's our duty to help others when we go through that. My wife has committed herself to every time she finds out someone who has breast cancer in our congregation, she is going to call them and she is going to offer to walk alongside them because she knows how it feels. And she knows how scary it is. And we offer our help to those. I don't tell you that because I'm trying to laud her. So I'm saying that you have that opportunity when you've gone through things in life to go help others who are going through similar things. Paul tells the Thessalonians, we urge you brothers... Admonish the idle. Get people moving. Encourage the faint-hearted. Be an encourager. Help the weak and the immature and those who are behind. Don't look down your nose at someone who may not be as mature as you are or handling things the way you would. Go and help them. There is a reason we are called together, brothers and sisters. It is because we come from all different walks of life and we need to support uh, and care for one another. And then finally... The scriptures provide evidence that we can hope in the promises of God. We think about what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for many things so that the man of God can be equipped for every good work. I think often we maybe neglect the study and reading of the Old Testament, but it is a treasure trove of God keeping His promises to His people, and we can learn from that. And we can see evidence that it's true. Because if you don't believe that, you have to reject your belief in the Scriptures. And I don't think anybody here wants to do that. I don't think you'd be here on a Wednesday night instead of being at the fair and dying from heat stroke. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't believe in the Word of God and taking time out of your life to do that. Those Scriptures contain that promise. And then the New Testament has that promise that we all cling to with every fiber of our being. I'll be back. I'll be back. And when I do, this age is over. And I'm going to take you who are faithful home with me. And those of you who have done the will of my Father will hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And those who have not done the things God asks us to do will be separated out as the goats. Jesus taught that. But he said, I'll be back. 
He told his disciples, I don't know when, and I still don't know if Jesus knows, even though he's in heaven with the Father. And sometimes it's discouraging, and people lose their hope because they say it's been 2,000 years now, and he hadn't come back. I needed to come back right away. When is he going to put an end to this evil world? You kind of feel like Noah did. I am immersed in a world of anti-godly people, and we feel that way, and it should cause us pain. Now, if you can see the things that go on in this world that doesn't cause you pain and suffering, you really need to check and think about your trust and love in God because you ought to be deeply saddened uh, by those things. And So tonight I, I leave you with that message to have hope even in times of pain, and I don't know what to tell you about how long it may be before that hope may come to fruition. But we have a hope greater than is. Let us not live when somebody dies. Let us not grieve like those who have no hope. Let us know that we will see them again. Let us know that the pain in this world, even though it lasts until we die, is not going to be there when we go to be with our Father one day. Let us know that what we've been through painfully can help other people. Uh, and as Christian brothers and sisters, we need to know the people who are in pain and reach out and walk alongside them. Be the helper that they need in this painful world because that will give them hope.